Welcome to Notes from the North with Kyle and Sam. Welcome back to Notes from the North, the official podcast of the Vikings Gazette. We're proud to partner with Vikings Territory and Purple PTSD. And if you're looking for great Vikings content, uh, be sure to swing by those sites. Uh, and of course, you're always welcome at the Vikings Gazette or vikingsgazette.com as I'm making sure I, I do now. <laughs> Just vikingsgazette.com. No yeah. Hey, we, I mean, as Sam and I have messaged a little bit about that this week. It's the Vikings Gazette, but it's just vikingsgazette.com. It's kind of my fault. It's I should have just done the vikingsgazette.com, but here here we are. Oh, that's great. And and before we jump into first down, I do have to ask Kyle, uh, things have changed significantly in your life over the past yeah, week. Yeah, I um you know, I missed last weekend's content. Felt a little bit bad for it, but then on Monday I posted the article one more Vikings fan because on Saturday, you know, from Friday night through Saturday night, my wife was in labor, gave birth to our uh, our first child, a beautiful baby boy. And uh, so I'm definitely tired, changing a lot of dirty diapers. But like, you know, there's one point during this past Vikings game where, you know, Adrian said, my wife said, you know, mind changing his diaper and stepping away from the TV just felt like a relief. I'm like, all right, let's... <laughs> let's leave this game behind for a few minutes and go change this boy's diaper it's just what a what a mess of a game yeah just instead of watching a bunch of poopy diapers to yep. uh, to changing one yeah yeah exactly oh. yeah <laughs> that's fun that's that's awesome well um i know we've talked but congrats that's super exciting yeah. and a lot of fun i know when we were recording our last podcast it was like this could be any any minute now and so now that it's exactly. happened yeah, I was getting the text ahead of time. I'm like, hey, be on standby. You could be doing this solo. And uh, right. thank goodness it didn't happen. But right, this is uh, this is exciting. This is great. Just starting off the season with uh, with one more Vikings fan. That's exactly it. That's what we need. Cool. Well, let's swing to first down. And I'm actually going to let Kyle introduce uh, this one because it's uh, we're trying out something new here. Yeah. So this one, I'm kind of teeing up, Sam. So I've got this title as sultry sam's virgin eyes uh and what podcasters can't see is that sam and i we work off a shared google doc and i'm always trying to put in some sort of funny name for sam so i've been referring to him as sultry sam in these google docs and the virgin eyes kind of refers to him being relatively new when it comes to following the vikings i mean newer than probably most folks who follow the team and so basically just want sam's perspective as it'd be fair to say more of a general nfl fan but someone who has come around to the vikings within the past year or so since doing this pod yeah and then you know obviously being he's kind of tuned in a little bit since we've been friends for the past few years but really kind of more intensely in this past year and so i just thought it would kind of be an interesting take in a sense and this was sam's idea and it was a good idea just to kind of you know without those built-in biases what did you see right and so we're going to start off uh, we're going to start off on offense and this question has to do with, you know, what are your impressions, both in terms of it could be individual players or the offense as a whole or the offensive coaches or whatever the case may be. Uh, what did you see on that side of the ball? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, this is, it's interesting. I, I want to clarify the virgin comment. It's not <laughs> just, just about my eyes. Yeah, uh, right. I'm right. Ha- happily married for, <laughs> for four years. Right. Uh, right. I, 
but I do think it is, I, I did say to Kyle, I think it's interesting because I have started to follow some of these fans, Vikings fans online, and I see yeah. them complaining about things. And I, after watching this game, you kind of start to see a little bit, but I do think that provide a little bit of fresh perspective. I, in terms of offense, to answer the question, uh, I was really excited to watch Kellen Mond play. And I felt like he met, if not maybe exceeded expectations. I think particularly considering where he was at in terms of practice. I know he'd only been able to practice a few times coming into this game. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed watching him. And, and just to have a quarterback who on those, like there's a couple of times on those third downs when things weren't open and he was able to scramble and run. Like that is just so exciting to watch. And I know that Kirk's talked a little bit about running a little bit more and doing that, but obviously that's a skill set that Mond has that is um, just so valuable for, for NFL teams and always enjoy watching quarterbacks get it and, and do that. Yeah. I mean, I'm a little torn. I Mond looked better than Browning. He looked far more decisive, more zip yeah. on his passes, but I don't actually think he played that well. I mean, he was six for 16, 53 yards, uh five five carries 25 yards so he did a few things with his legs but as sam was saying he only had three the three practices leading up to the game right and then he's in there with the twos and the threes and uh it's just a mess of a game for the vikings and and the uh you know little Koob's game plan was very vanilla just very plain uh a lot of runs just not very much going on at all i thought overall he looked fine. I think he showed some promise. Um, I don't think he necessarily had a good, great game, but he was fine. He was no, fine. no, for sure. And like, for me, by like, there's obviously you can look at the stat line, but like, for me, I always pay attention to quarterbacks and enjoy yep. seeing their composure and like watching Browning, like he was throwing everything high. Um, there were some plays that obviously should have been caught by some receivers that, that weren't, um, yep. but just seeing and like, Watching his game management um, is something that I was particularly focused on and impressed on. I the one thing overall that I just noticed, and I know there's just been so much been made of this offensive line. Um, I I do see there's a weakness here, um, and there's a significant difference I see between the pass, um, like the the way that they handle the pass versus the way that they they handle the run, and like. Yep. It doesn't make sense to me a little bit as a fan. Like I know obviously there's different techniques involved with that in the sense that um, with the run, you're, you're pushing it forward, whereas past you're kind of in, in defensive mode, but it just feels maybe not as strong as night and day, um, but it just feels like it's it was something that I, I was able to really notice as I, as I kind of tuned in on that. Yeah. Well, that's been one of the frustrations for Vikings fans for the past few years. And it, part of it has to do with their overall offensive philosophy, right? So it's a zone run scheme and it emphasizes offensive linemen who are a little bit, and I, you know, I say small, we're still talking about guys who are, you know, like Brian O'Neill in a sense is considered a smaller tackle, but he's like six, six, three, ten, right? So it's not like we're like a small dude in, in a normal context, but within the context of NFL offensive tackles, he's relatively small, right? But the idea with his own run, you're going to have to have guys who, uh, a little more athletic. There's going to be, you know, more double teams climbing to the second level, that kind of thing. And ideally, if you find that success running, you know, so goes the philosophy, you'll have an easier time with the passing because you're going to get the play action and the bootlegs and the screens and et cetera, et cetera. 
these kinds of things ideally will slow the pass rush, move your QB, make it harder for the uh, defensive linemen, the linebackers to get home, that sort of thing. Um, doesn't always work, right? And uh, I mean, we had our twos in there today, but I mean, it was still frustrating to see Dakota Dozier, who started for us all last year, was just so bad, so so bad today. The couple penalties and yeah, yeah, it's a mess. It I like for me, I usually don't I don't notice a strong performance on the line like that's mm-hmm. not something that I do but I, you can see a weakness and yeah that's right um he was a weakness and I like I I'm trying to focus on positives because like there wasn't a whole lot of um things so, like I I when I wanted to break down I wanted to focus on some of the positive performances by individuals but yep. certainly he was a glaring weakness yeah uh, when he was true. in there and that was painful especially from someone that like you said, had um, had the responsibilities that he did last year. Exactly. On defense, was there anything that stood out to you? Yeah, like it. Um, I really, I'm really curious to see what this first unit can do because um, the second unit felt like a lot of the same of watching what happened last year. Um, I did like. I, I think that people would say um, this doesn't feel like a a strong take or anything, but. But watching Chris Boyd on cornerback, he, he had a strong game. Like watching him defend Judy, I think that, and being able to, or watching him kind of match with him, defend that yep. um, red zone play and, and the, the one play down the sideline. Um, yep. I just think that it's really encouraging to see. I think it just points to the depth that they've addressed in terms of the cornerback position over, over the offseason. Um, yep. So, yeah, I felt encouraged by, by him. I mean, Chris Boyd, he's been around now for a bit. He was a late round pick a couple of years ago. And he um, I've always liked him because he's he carries himself with a fair amount of swagger. He's always been pretty physical, moves well. He, you know, his like the rest of us, his great strengths are his, his greatest weaknesses, right? And so he he's really aggressive. And sometimes that means he takes bad angles or he gets kind of caught up, you know, with eyes in the backfield or whatever the case may be. But today I thought he had, a, like Sam, he had a nice game. You know, Jerry Judy is a legit NFL wide receiver, like a number one wide receiver. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about, you know, our fifth cornerback, which he is. He's our fifth corner, probably, you know, matching up with their fifth or sixth wide receiver. We're like, he's on, he's on their number one man and, and winning some of those reps. And so that was really, really encouraging. Um, even though the defense as a whole played poorly, Chris Boyd, I thought, did quite well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, like you said, a depth piece that's been around for a little bit, but like just to see him match up against, like yeah. it, it feel it felt weird to watch. Um, kind of the ones goes against the the twos in terms yeah. of Denver there, and, and it just felt like I was like, oh man, this is um, two completely yeah. different teams. Um, but like just overall as a whole, I just I noticed, and I'm really curious to see what it looks like with um, Daniel Hunter and yeah. and others to come in, but just like the edge work for the, the defense, like getting burned on the edge, especially in the first quarter there. I know Wanham was out there and I'm, I like, for me as a fan, I don't always know if it's specifically the defensive end or the cornerback or the outside mm-hmm. linebacker. And I'm sure it depends on, on play to play in terms of who's responsible, yeah. but there was a couple of plays where it was like, Oh man, there is no one on this edge here. Um, yeah. There just wasn't a strong enough presence from there. And there just really wasn't a whole lot of pressure that was brought on on the quarterback um and that was definitely a weakness that i noticed last year and uh, was definitely present today as again yeah i mean our 
our four best defensive linemen, Hunter, Pierce, Tomlinson, and Richardson, none of them played today, mm-hmm. right? And then our linebackers and the corners. And so it's, I don't want to overreact, but it is disappointing. You know, Armand Watts, backup D tackle, he should be our DT4. He should be our fourth defensive tackle. You know, he got washed out of at least a few plays that I saw. Uh, when he's getting pushed back into the linebackers, well, now you're, you're not even neutral. You're actually negative value because you're, you're getting in the way of other players on the team, you know, and then DJ Wanham failing to set the edge a few times. That was a little disappointing just in so far as these are guys who are going to be playing some meaningful snaps for us. And I realize there's a broader context in that, you know, if Wanham is playing alongside, you know, Tomlinson, Pearson, Hunter, you know, life gets a lot easier right mm-hmm. like he's he's not at all the the focus for the offense right so he has better matchups and I, and I get that but it, it was I, I was personally hoping for a little bit more but again one preseason game it was most it was twos and threes I mean we had I think at the final count was 30 I was just looking at the vikings.com article I think it originally said 30 but I think it now says 31 players out I mean do the math there's 11 starters in offense 11 starters on defense that's 22 so we're not we're not even talking about all of our starters, it's all of our starters and a lot of our backups too. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's twos and threes out there, right? Like, and it's the first preseason game. Let's not overreact too, too much. There's a couple of disappointing performances for sure. And Zim's not going to be happy, but no. you know, it's, it's how it goes. I think. Yeah. It, it just feels like the defense just like watching it. It feels like there's so many holes right now, like watching the, like what Denver was bringing today. It was yep. like, oh man, it it um, it feels like everyone on the defensive end is kind of being blocked. Like it, it feels small almost. I don't know. It feels like the play. Like it doesn't feel. Um, yeah, I think sometimes a, de- a defense can make the field feel small. Um, and just this Vikings defense, it, like the field just feels so big. Um, and yep. It just feels like there's so many holes, and yep. so like, it will be interesting to see. I think it particularly on the the defensive line, what some of those starters can bring, but you do need these guys because the people that are playing today are one, one play away from being the guy that, that needs to come in and, and have that responsibility. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Good. And I don't, did you want to talk about special teams at all or. I mean, for specials, Greg Joseph hit both of his kicks. That's excellent. Yep. I guess. I mean, they're both short, but. Even still, they looked crisp and confident down the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, I was disappointed that uh, – uh, I was a little disappointed with Amir Smith-Marset. Like, I kind of thought that, you know, maybe there would be a little bit more from him today. But uh, that was both specials and on offense. But this is one of those ones where I'm going to – I'll go back Monday, probably Monday morning, and rewatch the game. And, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Cool. Well – with that, we'll, we'll transition to second down here and um, hear a little bit of what Kyle has to say, just in terms of how this impacts the roster a little bit. And so this is the first game action that we've had. Man, it was it was fun to watch football. Um, although by the time I got to the fourth quarter, I was like, okay, this, this game can wrap up, um, yeah. at least for me personally. But like, what would you say, what, like, what kind of impact would you say this game has on the roster? Um, as we move forward yeah i mean the most the most obvious in a sense is that uh right now the vikings have 90 men you're allowed to have 90 players in your roster 
they need to trim that down to 85 by the 17th, which is Tuesday, I believe, right? So, you know, within the next couple of days here, we should expect to see at least a few moves. I suspect they're going to get rid of that fourth QB because uh, he didn't even get in the game today. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, why hold on to him? Especially when, you know, Nate Stanley uh, wasn't even uh, playing today. So it's actually their fifth QB. So he's going to be one of the five, I imagine. And then from there, we'll see. I mean, uh, I just can't justify a spot for Dakota Dozier at this stage. But the coaches seem to like him and they seem to value. I mean, he started all last season and he played awful. And then they signed him again in the offseason. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they cut him. You know, they put him out there and show us something. And what he did was actually give the team negative value. To me, is I find it hard to, you know, if you talk about on the game broadcast, they're mentioning, you know, stock up, stock, stock down, you know, mm-hmm. whose stock is going up, whose stock is going down. There aren't too many Vikings come out of this game with their stock going up. Maybe Chris Boyd, uh, maybe Greg Joseph, just in that he didn't make any glaring errors. Mm-hmm. Uh, the boys, there aren't too many who you really felt like they really moved the needle in a positive direction. There are several, in contrast, who moved the needle in a negative direction. And it's going to be interesting to see if it's just kind of those fringe guys, the undrafted free agents who are just barely hanging on who get cut in these next few days, or if it's someone like Dakota Dozier, who is a seasoned vet, a journeyman, started all last season, you know, would they cut one or two of these guys? Uh, that's that's going to be the most fascinating thing for me. Mm-hmm. And I guess, like, for me, when I think about those cuts, like, it feels like the those guys that they would cut would be low-ceiling guys, like guys that you don't see that. And, like, do you see Dakota Dozier having a high ceiling at all? Or, like, like, like no. Yeah. No. His, his his appeal is that he – so he's very versatile, right? He can play multiple positions on the offensive line. He's a veteran. And if the coaches seem to appreciate his kind of workmanlike approach, keeps his head down, goes about his business, the coaches like that. And keep in mind that it's this is a very young offensive line, right? Mm-hmm. If, if things go the way we think it will go, I mean, we're going to have our oldest offense, starting offensive lineman will be Brian O'Neill who's in his fourth year of his, you know, NFL. So it's nice to have a couple of vets around. And so if Dakota Dozier is my eighth or my ninth lineman, someone who can start at different spots, mentor the young dudes, teach them how to work, teach them how to study film. I think that's excellent. I'm, I'm, I'm completely fine with that, but I do not want him basically anywhere near the starting roster mm-hmm. is, is kind of where I stand. And I wonder if him being in there the way that he was, was that, just strictly because you know he's he's one of the twos now and the twos were in or is it because we're trying to get a really solid evaluation on him to make a decision mm-hmm. yeah that's totally fair because it's interesting right like and i know you could say how much evaluation do they need he played you know all of last season but that was at left guard today was at right guard and so i wonder how much of it yes he can play multiple positions they know that and they like that but specifically at right guard how does he perform? And he performed very, very poorly. And mm-hmm. so I don't want to participate. I hate, I hate the Twitter call-outs, meanness, just stupidity, saying all kinds of awful things to these players. I don't want to participate in that at all. At all. No. Like I don't, the end of the day, this is still a dude, still has a family, still gotta go, but like I don't, I don't want any of that. But I, I can see like the rest of us that he just isn't an NFL level lineman. 
Uh, at mm. best, he should be one of your backups. At best. Yeah. No, it's totally fair. Um, and I like. I know the big news that came out before this was just the way that um, you know they released the first depth chart, and I know yep. there was a, like at this point we just want to react to anything. Um, how much do you feel like things have been impacted on that that first depth chart that's been been released? Because I know there's a lot of it felt like analysis that was coming from the way that they released that list, and yeah, and then and then now this is the first game action that we've we've been able to see. Honestly, the, the two things that come to mind for me right now is that, so let's, well, let's start with the negative that will end on a positive. The negative in a sense, depending on how you understand this, is that Jake Browning didn't really seize the opportunity that was put mm-hmm. in front of him. So he was the backup. And now it look, Kellen Mond looked better, no doubt. Yep. So now, now it's where before you think, okay, Jake Browning's definitely got a, he's a step ahead. Now at very least it's, it's even, right? And so you could say that maybe, you know, maybe Kellen Mond is going, uh, or rather Jake Browning is going down the depth chart and Mond is going up the depth chart. On a positive note, KJ Osborne was a wide receiver three. Mm -hmm. And I know he didn't, it's not like he was out there seven catches, 100 yards and a touchdown, but he had a couple catches, looked crisp, looked confident. He was involved in special teams as well. you know, keep in mind, this dude didn't get any offensive snaps at all last year, right? And he went out there, a couple nice catches. Uh, Cousins has specifically mentioned in a press conference last week, I believe, saying, you know, just Osborne looks a lot more confident, making really good hand catches, right? So not catching, bringing it into his body, but hands right away from his body, strong hands, snatching the ball out of the air, confidence, strength. That's what you want to see from your receivers, obviously. And this is a dude who ran a 4 4 so, you know, he's not Tyreek Hill fast, but he's fast, right? And so if the hands are there, we know the speed is there. We've always known that he has the intangibles. I believe he was a captain in college, super well-respected, uh, you know, team first guy. I, I'm just, I'm very excited about KJ Osborne. We'll, we'll see. So that's the two that come to mind right immediately after the game is that Osborne seems to have further solidified that spot on the depth chart. Whereas Browning failed to solidify and has maybe fallen down a little bit on that depth chart. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, I did feel like Osborne, he was the one, like his, his, uh, kick return was, was noteworthy. Uh, or like, it felt like it was like, Oh, okay. Like this guy can move and he made something happen. Uh, a little bit of made something out of nothing. And so I know there's been a lot of conversation with a uh, wide receiver three position and, Yep. Um, so having someone like that emerge as, as a potential candidate and seeing him play today, I definitely feel like, um, like you said, there was a lot of people that didn't really improve their stock, but, but he sounds like, and as training camp has been going on, that he's continued to improve and, and uh, position himself well for that, for that spot. Um, yes, exactly. Transitioning to third down here and, and looking ahead, um, we're done with the Denver game. Uh, thank goodness. Um, thank we're, goodness we're, we're done with you know what like we're done with first game I before we kind of move on to looking ahead I did want to say scale of one to ten how do you feel or how much like how much emotional energy I guess almost do you do you take from what just happened with with this game we're recording like right after after the preseason game so like scale of one to ten how in terms uh, of like how much I should care yeah I guess like how much do you care how much should you think people or how much should people care about 
But what we just watched. Three out of ten? Yeah. Three out of ten. It's the first preseason game. I mean, yeah, some of these guys have to contribute. I get that. First preseason game, 31 of our dudes weren't playing. 31. Right? <laughs> like, you know, you could, like, that's like, gosh, that's, that's a lot of players and a lot of really good players at that. So, yeah, I would have liked to have seen a better effort, but three out of 10. Yeah. If we go out in game number two, and maybe this is a good transition to get into the Colts game. Mm-hmm. If we go in game number two and look like this or close to this, then that three out of 10 now is a nine out of 10. Concern, yeah. Right. So, yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, for in terms of third down, what do we look for in this Colts game? Mm-hmm. Well, one, I'm looking for considerably more swagger and confidence. I don't necessarily expect a ton of creativity from either the offense or the defense, just in the sense that, I mean, neither Zim nor Little Coob want to give away any of their stuff in the preseason. But they should, it should be more dynamic. There should be more flow. There should be more confidence. It should be uh, just way crisper and tighter. I mean, with what you're saying about when the Vikings defense is on the field, it felt like the opposition had a ton of room. Well, it shouldn't feel that way. You know, when you have Dalvin Tomlinson and Michael Pierce in the middle, it should feel like Indianapolis doesn't have a lot of room to operate, right? And so that's, I'm looking to see, uh, looking to see that when with Little Coob and with Zim, kind of not necessarily their game plans or their approach, but overall the feel of each side should feel considerably different. Yeah, that makes sense. And like in terms of positions, is there anything that you're you're really looking forward to or like looking ahead in terms of some competition at, at specific positions or or certain battles that you're you're particularly looking for as we move into these preseason games, particularly uh, next week against the Colts? I don't know if this is lame answer or not. I'm really curious to see what Riley Patterson does, the kicker. Yeah. Right. Cause I mean, Greg Joseph wasn't really challenged that much today, but I do want to see what Patterson can do. Uh, I mean, cause I mean, obviously we've, we've had our kicking woes in Minnesota. After that, I really want to see Cameron Dantzler mm-hmm. and then Bashad Breland. And so what happens at that second corner spot? Right. And so the first that I think of are those two. And then from there, I want to see Ole Udo at right guard. I want to see Ole Udo at right guard. I want to see Rashad Hill at left tackle. You know, I want to see those guys up front and just see how they work. What kind of lanes can they open up for Dalvin Cook, for Madison? I don't imagine Dalvin Cook will get very many carries, but uh, maybe he'll be in there for a series or two, and we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see what kind of uh, cohesiveness that front five has and what they can do to open up some holes for the running game. Yeah. Well, I, I like, I, I'm curious. I was, that, that was one of the things I wondered, like, obviously teams got different strategies in terms of who's playing what games. And like, it yeah. was kind of weird to see uh, Denver starting off. I, I like, I don't like Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater was kind of fun to see that. Then Jerry Judy, like just to see some of those guys like to play and um, play a couple, couple, a uh, couple drives. Yeah. Um, and so obviously different teams have different strategies and, and I think it's good for Minnesota to really figure out some depth because it does feel like um, while there's some competition at some spots, there are some guys that you've got, their, their names are in pen on that roster. Um, yeah, that's right. But it's going to be interesting to see. And, and like you said, I do think it's important for them to get uh, started here because like they flash that schedule up again during the game and 
that Cincinnati um, game one feels like as close to a must win game one as, as you can kind of get. I mean, there's no such thing as a week one must win, but when you look at the schedule and how difficult it gets, you know, it really feels like it's a game that you need to have, right? Because you're, Boys, you're facing some tough teams. Uh, we get the the AFC North as our AFC opponent. So, I mean, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, we're facing some tough teams, man. Like, I know Cincinnati mm-hmm. is a bit of a joke, but uh, – and then the North is obviously difficult. You know, Arizona in week two, we've got Seattle again uh, not long after. So, yeah, we got to be crisp, right? And it's interesting. I was a little bit surprised. We only have three preseason games this year. Usually you only have, or usually you have four. Oh, right. So that, that's, that's part of why today was so weird. I think Denver was treating this game as, as if it was the second preseason game where in which traditionally you would, you know, play your main guys for, you know, part of a quarter, that kind of thing. And then in the third preseason game, that's your dress rehearsal. Maybe your guys play the whole first half, that kind of thing. And then fourth is, usually going to be your you know your second and third string guys and you make your decisions minnesota instead of treating this first game as game number two they you know essentially just let all their starters rest and i think i'm just speculating now because i'm not in the the coach's room and zim doesn't ask my opinion but i've heard him say several times you know he just if if my guys take care of me i take care of them if they Mm -hmm. practice well if they show up if they study hard I'll give him time off, you know, and I know he's given veterans off at various points so far. And so I'm fine with that approach. I mean, if Harrison Smith has been in the league for like a decade and been elite for that entire decade, if you need to take care of his body a little more, that's fine by me, right? Like I, I have no problem with that approach. And I assume that's what he was doing today was just basically taking care of his older dudes, taking care of the starters, giving the twos and threes more chance. Um, but boys, it was ugly. So we'll see what the ones can do. I'd imagine the ones next week will get close to the full first half, at least most of them. I mean, Justin Jefferson's coming off the shoulder injury. Good chance he doesn't play at all the preseason. I wouldn't be shocked if Dalvin Cook only played a couple games. Because, I mean, some of these guys either who have an injury history like Cook or like Jefferson, who's currently dealing with a bit of an injury, what's the point? Like, what, what do you really accomplish yeah, it's nice to kind of give him a few reps, but it's not worth it, right? So some of those guys won't be in, but for the most part, the ones should be there and they should be there for a considerable amount of time. And so it will be interesting to see what kind of response uh, this team has because that's that's important, man. Like we we spiraled at the end of that last season. Things just kept getting worse and worse and worse. You know, in this tiny little snowball at the top of the hill, by the time you get to the bottom, it was this huge boulder, right? So... Obviously, we don't want that this year. So we had a very, very poor performance this week. We play seven days from now, next Saturday. How do we respond, right? And so I'm looking for a strong response, and uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize that it's three preseason games now instead of four. That yeah, was which, part of the switch to seventeen because yeah. it's seventeen regular season games. It, yeah, it makes sense. I just hadn't paid attention, and like in some ways, it always feels like four preseason games is so long. Um, yep. And so it's nice to speed it up. But after watching that game, I'm also like, it'd be <laughs> yeah, nice to maybe right. have a fourth one to throw in <laughs> yeah. there to like. We might need it. <laughs> it'd be it'd be nice because yeah. because you don't want um, you don't want that fourth preseason game, which is now essentially game week one, um, 
to to be a preseason game. So there's definitely yep. it just it makes things more real. Um, like things things got to pull together because, um, yeah, it thing like it, the season starts very very soon and. Like if, if you're not motivated now and if things aren't clicking now, then um, there's not a whole lot of time to, to fix that. That's exactly right. It's time to get going. Good. Uh, any other comments before we finish off with the odds and ends? No, nah, man, let's hit the odds and ends. What do you got for us? This Minnesota Wild, what's going Minnesota on? Minnesota Wild. Well, shortly after we released on Monday, um, there's an interesting tweet that that came out and, and report that came out about uh, Kirill Kaprasov and and – um, I know I had said, I think I, I think it was last August, I had said, you know what, don't expect anything before September 1st. Um, <laughs> and uh, Frank Saravalli from, yeah. um, he's a daily face-off now. Um, he tweeted out saying that Kaprizov has a tentative agreement in place with CSKA Moscow on a one-year eight-figure deal in US dollars. Um, yeah. Wow. And it's going to begin on September 1st. If a contract is not materialized, um, definitely turns up the heat. I know there's definitely some different reports I heard saying like, you know what, like there's actually not, there's, there may not be enough money um, with the way the KHL works with their contracts for that to actually be a real thing. Um, mm-hmm. But they would be interesting to see how Minnesota responds because um this feels this, this is this is a tactic. I think the point in the sense of what I was saying of don't expect a thing by September 1st is that there are tactics that are in play and things are happening. Um, but I think that there is because of Kaprizov and his history with the KHL and that possibility, the threat feels a little bit more real, but it still seems um I don't know. I, I, I still haven't yet hit the panic button, but I'm also not, I'm just a, a Minnesota wild uh, reporter, not a reporter. Um, but I I'm, I'm watching from this side uh, rather yeah. than being like desperately invested as a, as a fan. Well, let me put it to you this way. Cause you, you kind of opened up this can of worms a little bit earlier when you asked, you know, what's my level of concern one to 10 kind of thing based off this first preseason game. So I mean, I've, I've got kind of an answer in my mind. Uh, but I kind of want to hear your opinion first before I bias you a little bit, maybe. Um, so based off this tweet from Saravelli, what's your level of concern that Kaprizov might actually leave the wild and play in the KHL? So I think before this tweet, it was at a, I was at a two. Now I'm at a four. Okay. Interesting. I was, I was at a, a one. Now I'm at a two. Yeah. I mean, this, this to me is, so first off you say, who's telling Saravelli this? Mm-hmm. It's probably someone in Kaprizov's camp, right? Oh yeah. This this is a hundred percent like his agent or some you know someone. So this this to me just seems like kind of like a public pressure, you know, applied to the Wilds. Like you guys need to come to the play, table and really play ball here, right? Because I got a legit offer from the KHL. But I mean, like, it's not unusual. So a high profile player who is publicly, you know, it's very publicly well known that he you know, one has played in the KHL and two could go back. If things don't work out, he has a legitimate offer from a KHL team. Well, that's not necessarily news. I mean, the fact that I guess there's a specific team with this eight figure salary. Yeah. Okay. Inter- interesting enough. So that brought me from a one to a two, but like, I don't know. I'm sure there's all kinds of offers for all kinds of free agents. I mean, Alex Ovechkin was just a free agent before he signed with the Capitals. 
I'm sure there are KHL teams calling them, right? But mm-hmm. I'm sure it never really was ever really a thing. Not at this stage. You know, maybe when he retires from the NHL, he'll go over and play. But yeah, I just can't imagine. Do you do you think the Wild could actually lose him here? Yeah, like I don't. And I, I should say like when you say one to two and I said two to four, like, I feel like I like my four was still like to mean like quite low. Like I, I don't think that he could go. I like I think um he he did stay in the KHL for a while and so I think that there yeah, is he did. He did, there yeah. is some like connection there like he wasn't some one of those players that rushed over and and started playing the NHL I I don't believe he will um but I don't know it's just it's this hard thing right like GMs get criticized for kind of bending and or, or breaking really uh, to some of these negotiation tactics I know with the Leafs Kyle Dubas got criticized for signing William Nylander, who signed like five minutes before this deadline. Um, but he, like, I think that it's possible. I, the one thing that makes this interesting, um, sorry, I should say, I think it's possible he goes, but I don't think it's very likely. Right. Um, I, like, I, I, I'm not concerned. Um, yep. I know that the term has been a little bit of an issue. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently Minnesota mm-hmm. was only interested in a seven or eight year deal. Um, now it's changed a little bit. And I do think that Sarah Valley also had an article that came out this week, just talking about the nature of the salary cap for the next several years. Yeah. Um, yep. I don't know if you heard this or, or saw this, but basically because of the way that escrow works with the NHL, um, the cap is only going to climb $1 million each off season mm-hmm. until like 2026, 2027. Um, is that right? Right now the players are in like a one point, well, they're still figuring out the final calculations for this season, but they're like a $1.1 billion um, debt to the owners um, right. because they've negotiated for the salary cap to continue to go up uh, yet. They're still splitting 50, 50 in terms of revenue. And because of COVID and how it's all impacted everything, yeah. there's just this huge deficit that they're, they're sitting at right now. And so um, with, year three and four this this is the thing with those buyouts um with Prize and Sutter um when when those numbers artificially like well they're not artificially but they go up um mm-hmm. without any change to the roster in a sense like you can say you know what we'll just sign these guys and and we'll figure it out later um mm-hmm. but you do not want to be sitting in a position in the off season of be like before 2023 2024 sitting there needing to shed salary and to be at the mercy of a team helping you out and having to offload um, significant assets to get rid of a contract. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it just, there's just a lot of, of different factors here. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how Garen, uh, Bill Garen, the GM handles all this. I will say, and I am, I'm sticking by, I'm saying, I, I think it's a two out of 10. I don't think it's likely I'm not losing any sleep, but this would be such a Minnesota sp- sports moment. You know, if they lose, they get this young stud just entering his prime dynamic, just excites the fan base and, you know, seemingly revives this team and they go to the playoffs and then they lose them to the KHL. It'd be a very Minnesota sports kind of moment. Mm-hmm. Well, I do think like they, they basically, the way I see it, they've got three chunks of time. They've got the next two years when they've got a lot of room on this cap space uh, and they've got some, some guys that are locked up there. Um, and it feels like maybe you just go for a run it in the next two years. Um, although like 
even even year two, they're at twelve million dollars in terms of yeah. twelve point seven in terms of dead cap space, and it goes to fourteen point seven. Like, I like like in some ways, it feels like they could go for it this year, and then years two to four really are they're in trouble. And so I know some people even suggested, you know what, sign Kaprizov, sign him for four years, trade him for a boatload um, at the end of the four years, and start fresh because. Um, just the way that the, these teams, yeah. this teams at with the players in their prime, um, or you know, a lot of these guys even beyond their prime or on the on the second half, um, it's just a it's a tough spot to be in as a team. It is, it is. But one thing I can say for certain is that they need to find some sort of solution, Kaprizov, and one that's not you know, one or two or three years, at least probably five or six years. Ideally something that is, I mean, I don't know how high you want to go for Kaprizov. Would seven or 8 million be reasonable? You know, something like that would be good in my mind. You just yeah. can't, can't lose them. Can't lose yeah. them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think, I think it seems like five years, like I say, like it feels like after year four, that's when some decisions can be made here. That's right. Um, but That's yeah, right. he he uh, he definitely can command a lot of money, which is wild to think that he's coming off um, this entry level deal and and is going to make this amount of money. But he's highly skilled. He, a good, pun, good pun there. You see that? I missed it. It's it's wild to think. I, you know what? It's a skill. Um, yeah, <laughs> it just just flows <laughs> out just, of him naturally. It just flows. It's just natural. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It he changed the way that this team was viewed in many ways from my vantage point last year. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And so he has the ability, he's got a lot of negotiation powers here. And so, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's got all the leverage. We'll, we'll see, you know what, maybe knowing, knowing how the time has gone, maybe he'll sign a big deal Monday afternoon. Um, after we're done <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. Exactly. And we'll get to break it down. I know Fiala was reported to be close on a deal, so we'll see what that means. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely an anxious offseason for Minnesota Wild fans. True enough. True enough. Well, hopefully they come to some resolutions here soon. Yeah, absolutely. Well, anyways, we want to thank people for listening. Uh, it's been fun. We get to break down an actual football game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from here on out, this is this is our weekly gig now. We get to actually talk about games. We get to talk about what's really happening. Um yeah, be sure to stop by vikingsgazette.com for great Minnesota Vikings news, commentary, and analysis. TVG can be found on Twitter <laughs> and Facebook at Vikings Gazette. Thanks, everyone, and we will talk with you next week.